Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The new year is traditionally a time for resolutions and self-improvement, and we've never had as many opportunities for enhancing our physical appearances due to advances in medicine and technology. New drugs also promise to improve our brain power and even our behaviour, throwing up new ethical challenges. I discussed these with Professor Bert Hordeng of DCU's Institute of Ethics. He started by explaining the categories of enhancement now available to us. If we talk about uh, enhancement, first of all, we must be aware that it's not science fiction because there are many kinds of enhancement uh, out there already. There are all kinds of cosmetic interventions, non-surgical, there is... uh, Cosmetic surgery, obviously breast implants, there is uh, liposuction, there's Botox, there is uh, cosmetic dentistry, uh, bleaching and veneers and so on. And then there are um, neurotechnologies, like brain-computer interfaces that are being uh, developed. And there are also a range of drugs that influence our uh, moods, and there are smart drugs that have a positive influence on our cognition. And they are out there, and they have triggered debates. There's also doping in sports, by the way, steroids, uh, and so on. And they have uh, triggered various debates in these various contexts. For example, American uh, college kids uh, more and more take smart drugs to boost their cognitive performance. And that has triggered a debate on certain colleges as to what kind of policy uh, should we apply. Should we allow this, or should we do... um, tests. Uh, In sports, obviously, we have debates, and uh, there are also debates that are more anticipatory, that look at future developments, because if you look at the the way medicine develops, many people expect that in the future we may uh, be able to influence, um, perhaps, the uh, maximum lifespan. We may be able to extend it. There's a lot of biogerontological research going on, focusing on the biological process of aging. And if we understand it from a biological point of view, if we understand it better, we may be able to slow it down or to perhaps stop it or to reverse it. So that's a big debate. Uh, Obviously, uh, bodily modification is is a big debate. And um, we may be able to influence uh, our senses, our sensory experiences, our motorial capabilities, and also uh, our moods, our cognition, and perhaps also our morality itself. There are certain drugs and they've been trialled around improving people's empathy or uh, dealing with people maybe who are less empathetic. What is the thinking that this might be used or potentially people could self-medicate to make themselves better people? Well, this is a big topic, obviously, because um, I think the debate around moral enhancement started um, only five years ago really, in a serious way in the, in the academic scene. And um, one of the arguments now uh, has been advanced in a, uh, an interesting book just a year ago, published by Ingmar Persson and uh, Julian Savulescu. It's called Unfit for the Future. And in this book, the authors uh, argue that our morality has uh, a biological base, for all we know, and is the product of an evolutionary process. And so natural selection basically has 
influence the way we behave morally. And their argument is that our current morality is obsolete because it's still the sort of morality that we had as um, when we lived in hunter-gatherer tribes, which we did for hundreds of thousands of years. And uh, at that time, we had very sort of primitive technology. Basically, for 99% of the history of technology, we were cutting flint, and we used fairly simple stone tools. And uh, so our technology didn't have a long-term impact into the future. Uh, and accordingly, it didn't make sense to care for the long-term future. And we couldn't predict it anyway. So we had a near sort of future bias. And another trait of our morality was that we didn't empathize with people we didn't know, with foreigners. If you met somebody from another tribe, that was a scary situation, and usually you would try to kill that person before getting killed yourself. So you empathize with people whom you knew, and only a, a small amount of people, basically. Another trait uh, of our morality is that um, we have scope insensitivity, so we don't it's difficult for us to empathize with a large group of people. Our empathy does not grow proportionally with the number of sufferers. We can empathize with one, people, with, with one person who is suffering, but it's difficult for us to empathize with 100 people who are suffering. It becomes an abstraction, a statistic, basically. And the authors are arguing that this is still our morality today. So we have this hunter-gatherer, moral attitudes, basically, but the world has hugely changed because technology has developed very fast. So you get a picture of sort of an exponential development of technology and a very slow growth of our morality, and that um, triggers a lot of problems. And so what do they recommend? One of the main problems they focus on is global climate change. And, there, and obviously this is a result of technological developments, uh, that, starting with the Industrial Revolution and uh, all the... Uh, CO2 um, that we have sent into the atmosphere. And um, with the near future bias, we don't care about catastrophes that might happen by the end of this century. And also with our very sort of limited scope of our empathy, we don't really empathize with people far away. And at the moment, we see differential impacts of um, global climate change. So people who have not really contributed to the problem, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa, have to bear the brunt. They are hit hardest because these are poor countries, they can't really prepare, they're not as resilient as we are. Whereas uh, people who have really contributed to the problem, let's say America, which uh, per capita has the biggest contribution to the problem, they're not hit almost at all, they're hit fairly insignificantly. And it's difficult with our current morality to deal with the problem, because in liberal democracies, the, uh, and this is still the argument of these authors. In liberal democracies, the policies of politicians tend to reflect the, the morality of the electorate. So let's say a politician would come up with a very radical plan to tackle global, global climate change. It would be difficult to get re-elected because people don't want to change their lifestyles. Is the suggestion here that maybe rather than taking all the time and perhaps failing in the end to persuade people to take the bigger picture view and look at the long term, that medication has a role to play here? And if we could medicate people to calculate these uh, the future impact of their, uh, their uh, actions and so on, that would be a good thing and something maybe we should embrace. Yeah, I think the authors are, are basically arguing that we should do research uh, and try to find out whether there are medical ways of influencing our morality. If morality has a biological basis, it makes sense to uh, suppose that we might be able to influence it if we know the biological pathways.
And that's where I think the argument becomes problematic because uh, the authors are basically saying, well, you know, traditionally there have been other means, of course, to influence our morality, uh, education, uh, but also legislation. And this was already analyzed in the Greek antiquity, basically. So Socrates focused on education a lot. In fact, Socrates argued that if you know what is good, you will automatically act accordingly, which is very contrary to common sense, of course. And uh, this was picked up by Aristotle, who said, well, knowledge is one thing, but it's not sufficient. It's a necessary condition for good moral behavior. But you need strength of will as well to do what you see is the right thing to do. And that's where legislation helps a lot, because um, it helps for younger people, because if you have a good legislative framework and you have a good social environment, younger people will develop the right habits and it will become a natural thing for them to do what is right to do. Uh, but it also helps for older people, for adults, who may have wrong habits already, but if there are sanctions, so if you have a good legislative framework, it may still force these people to behave in a correct way. And basically the authors of Unfit for the Future are saying, well, these are important ways of trying to influence morality, but they're insufficient. And that's where they're saying we need another way of moral enhancement and we need to do the research to try and find the biological pathways and perhaps come up with either neurotechnologies or pharmaceuticals or genetic engineering to improve uh, morality. But the problem, of course, is if people are morally deficient in the first place, why would they be interested in biological ways of influencing their morality? Uh, just imagine you would do clinical trials because you want to know about the side effects of certain moral um, enhancers. Why would you participate in that? Why would you run the risk of experience, experiencing side effects if you're not very interested in morality in the first place? And that's what they call the bootstrapping problem. So how do you get people to use the moral enhancers if they were there in the first place, of course. Well, I suppose someone might answer you could force them to do it. Um, if the state was to decide that it would create a more peaceful society, the world would be more peaceful if people took these boosters. Would there be a strong argument to say if it was scientifically proven you could, you could improve people's levels of empathy and morality that uh, it should be compulsory? I think it would be highly problematic and it reminds us of the, the brave new world in many ways uh, because it's... Um, it would infringe on respect for autonomy, respect for freedom, and in a more general way on, on, on human dignity. Uh, so I don't think in liberal democracies that you can force people to, uh, to use these drugs. Going back just to the individual, um, looking at the new year, it's, it's a time where people often look to self-improve and take up new hobbies or new activities to improve themselves. What are the ethical implications there? You mentioned in academia taking brain-enhancing drugs. Is it unethical to do that as an individual? Are you buying into, are you creating an unfairness? It depends on the context, I think. Uh, so if certain substances are banned and if there is a policy not to use certain substances, obviously it's unfair to use them because you're creating an artificial advantage that others have refrained from. So in sports, for example, or in academia, if there's a policy not to use certain cognitive enhancers, it's like using a calculator during a math exam where calculators are banned. So I think it depends on the context. There's an artificial nature to some of these boosters versus a natural way of getting the job done. Um, does that play into some of the ethics that the natural enhancement uh, throws up fewer dilemmas or fewer moral issues? Now we're also touching on conceptual um, issues. 
which are very important in the debate, but also very difficult. Uh, so there is a lot of discussion about the concept of enhancement and the question of whether certain distinctions are morally relevant, like the distinction natural, artificial, or the distinction therapy, um, enhancement, or also the distinction between internal and external. And the general idea is that if you're doing things, if you're intervening beyond therapy, and if you're introducing technologies into the body, and if the technologies are not natural, but they're highly complex and artificial, then there is a tendency to see them as more problematic in the debate, in the ethical debate. Uh, but these distinctions are all very difficult. Uh, but generally, you could say that in, in medicine, for thousands of years, we were influenced by Hippocratic medicine. And in Hippocrates, there, there was this theory about the four humors. And so phlegm, and black and yellow bile and blood. And if they were in balance, you were healthy. And if you were sick, there was a disbalance, a dyscrasia of the four humors. And basically the task of, of medicine consisted in the restitutio ad integrum. So recreating the integrity, recreating the health. And then you were done. So that was the, the task of medicine. It was a, a therapeutic goal. And now what we're seeing is that the task is more and more transformatio ad optimum. So transforming people to reach a certain optimum, to achieve a certain ideal. And I think that's a very general trend that you can see. And that creates many questions and many, many problems. Going back to moral enhancement, there is another uh, problem, I think. Now, s let's suppose that we had moral enhancers. And that's a big stretch because I'm rather skeptic about the possibility of, of creating them. There is also a worry that um, they might be used for nefarious purposes. Uh, currently, there is a debate about, um, about the following problem. If soldiers have had traumatic experiences, uh, they sometimes tend to develop post-traumatic stress syndrome. And the memory of the trauma, of the traumatic experience, pops up again and again and reinforces itself. Now, there are certain drugs, like propanol, propanol, for example, that attenuate these memories, that can mitigate them, and uh, that can thus avoid post-traumatic syndrome. You can probably even give certain drugs to soldiers going into a war arena that might possibly be very traumatic. You might give them certain drugs that would avoid the establishment of long-term memories in the first place. Now, this has already been... Um, described by critics as giving people a license to kill without any moral residue because you won't remember a thing. Now, the idea now is that if we, if we know the moral pathways of moral enhancement and moral improvement, we might also use our knowledge to morally reduce or diminish people. So let's say I'm interested in having a special forces hit squad that can go somewhere and do the job effectively without any moral qualms at all. I might perhaps morally diminish them. Or a dictator, for example. Now, I'm not talking about liberal democracies, but about evil political leaders might use those drugs to, to get people more in line with certain very deficient ideologies. And you might even, and I'm just presupposing now that it is possible to boost morality, but also to diminish morality. You might even use those drugs as a weapon of mass destruction because you might, you would not destroy bodies, you would not destroy lives, but you would destroy morality in an enemy state, let's say, and thereby you would destroy the social fabric of this, um, of this society. 
So there's a worry about dual use as well, about these technologies and this knowledge being used for immoral purposes. Bersh Hordang, thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.